right, so we've been going through a series that I'm calling The Search for Meaning Ecclesiastes, The Study of Ecclesiastes. And uh, before I dive in, I, I mentioned my desire, my uh, reticence to uh, fly or my kind of not enjoying flying uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but one of the things that I actually do like, so I know Southwest had their issues recently, but I actually like flying Southwest. So even with all their issues, I still like Southwest. But one of the things that I like about it is, uh, is and I was thinking about this earlier today, uh, is the fact that uh, you can you can now get on this little device, and uh, it's pretty amazing. You can you can hook to their Wi-Fi, and you can go to Southwest.com and think about this, y'all. You can watch TV shows and movies on a chair as you're flying through the clouds. Have you thought about that? You can text your friend or family as you glide thirty-five thousand feet above the Earth's surface, sipping a Coke and maybe eating a Snickers bar. Pretty amazing. You thought about that? In so many ways, we li- the reason I say that, share this with you, is that we live in a time and place like you have everything. You have access to so many things that you can be on the internet flying $35,000, 35,000 feet above the earth's surface. Just think about a couple decades ago, like I, I know I'm a little bit older than you at this point. That would have been unheard of, okay? Uh, even 50 years ago, your parents' generation, whatever. Um, and yet, we're a deeply unhappy people. As much as y'all have as students, as much as we have in the world today, we're so unhappy. Author Zach Eswine reflects on this reality. We are among the wealthiest and most privileged people in the world, but we are far less content and rarely as happy as those who possess a fraction of what we do. Why is that? Well, our preacher friend, the one that we're calling our preacher friend, who is the author of Ecclesiastes, I think he's probably King Solomon from the Bible. Some people uh, think a little bit differently, but he is on his own personal quest for meaning and happiness. And as we continue through this journey, kind of in, uh, in this now third week, I think it's gonna prove helpful to beginning to answer that question. We have everything, and yet we're so unhappy. What does the preacher have to say? What can we learn from his journey? We're going to read the first half of chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. So you can read along with me uh, behind, uh, with the words behind me. Here's the preacher now talking to himself, and he says this. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter. It is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had come before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. 
Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord stands forever. Let me pray. God, these words may seem very distant from us, written by somebody we've never met. And yet, Lord, we believe them to be your words. And so we come to you this evening and ask God that you would speak to us. Lord, some of us may be in this room uh, and we may be, we may believe or we may doubt. We may come uh, not believing, perhaps curious. Maybe a lot of us come in here skeptical. I don't know. Regardless of where we come, Lord, I pray that you would use this, your word, to, to be at work. That you, Holy Spirit, would be at work through these words that are living and active. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in early uh, 2012, February 2012, a guy named uh, Chin Jong-Yu, he walked into an internet cafe. These are really popular in, in parts of China uh, and other Asian countries, Taiwan, etc., and he, in this case, he was in Taiwan, and he purchased 23 hours of gaming time. That's a lot. Well, he was a fan of this, uh, this, this, uh, this game called League of Legends. Maybe some of you are familiar with this. I don't really know anything about it. You know, some of you are like, ah, okay, I know nothing. Uh, but he would frequent these internet cafes to play this competitive game. And uh, after 23 hours was up, like the, an employee of the cafe came and found him kind of slumped over in his seat. And, and, and tried to kind of wake him, uh, but, but he, was, he was unresponsive. And it, it turned out that, that he had already been suffering from a heart condition, and that combined with fatigue, very little movement over those 23 hours, uh, cold, cold body temperature, and probably the stress of the gaming that he was done. He, he actually, he died. 10 hours into these 23 hours, uh, he, he died. And police literally found him with his hand still stretched out on the keyboard and the mouse, respectively. Okay. Now, of course, uh, this is kind of an extreme example, but now we're like 10 years later. So that's 2012. We're 10 plus, 10 plus years later after his death. And this is actually not, believe, believe it or not, this is not the only story of its kind. So since the 80s, there was one like in 1980, and the most have been happened in the 2000s. There are like several dozen deaths that have been linked to kind of extreme gaming, which is kind of wild to think about. Now, for most of us, playing a video game like this uh, doesn't arise to this kind of unhealth. Uh, it's much more benign, of course. Uh, we may play for some aimless pleasure and entertainment, but it doesn't control us. And yet, at the same time, I think that all of us on some level can also relate to the obsessive behavior of an extreme gamer. Now, perhaps our obsession is, looks a little bit different, okay? So it may not be gaming, but uh, we gravitate towards food. Or maybe it's not food, but it's alcohol. Maybe it's not alcohol, but it's comedy or music or sex or movies or clothes. You get the idea, right? And honestly, some of us may be even teetering on the edge of, of addiction. But here's the point. The pursuit of worldly pleasures in this manner, uh, uh, in terms of seeking meaning and happiness, this is not foreign to us. Uh, this is common to the human experience and certainly the world in which we live and the world in which you are a part of. 
And I would argue that these pursuits of worldly pleasures are actually desperate longings for something else. And they're really desperate longings and cries for something that is transcendent. That is to say, we're seeking to fill a a hole in our lives with something extraordinary, something otherworldly, and frankly, something that's lasting. And the ordinary is just that, right? It's basic, it's boring, it's standard, it's average, and it's fleeting. And we are all, if we're honest with ourselves, however, insatiable pleasure seekers. That is what you and I are. We're constantly looking for something beyond ourselves that will actually satiate our thirst and fill our appetite for the transcendent, for something beyond us. But here's why I actually believe that we're not, you know, why we're so unhappy. Here's why I believe why we're so unhappy. And why, honestly, the picture of kind of the extreme gamer's death is really not that far off in some ways, even if it's extreme. And it's because the pursuit of worldly pleasures, of things, of stuff, is never enough. And I think we sort of instinctively know this in our heart of hearts. uh, We don't want to admit it, but we know this to be true, that worldly pleasures are not sufficient. And this is exactly what our preacher friend means when he's describing his experience in verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me, or sorry, verse 11. At the very end, he kind of concludes, and so we're sort of getting away the entire sermon right here. Here we go. Then I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I had expended in doing, and behold, all was vanity. A striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. In other words, there's nothing on this earth that gave me what I was looking for, even when I went after all these pleasures. And notice this is exactly what the preacher did. He did not withhold from himself any worldly pleasure. And then let's just take that this is King Solomon, which I believe it is. This is true. We know this is true of his life. He did not withhold anything from himself. Now, unlike some of us, he still had his wits about him a little bit. Okay, so in verse 3, it says that his heart was still guiding him with wisdom. The point here being he had not lost kind of all inhibitions. If you think about the prodigal son in verse, uh, sorry, Luke 10, uh, which is a guy who kind of indulges in everything and pleasurable, thinking that it will actually satisfy him. Our preacher is a little bit more skeptical. He's there out to test it, to see if these pleasures will actually give him what he wants. And his conclusion, I think, is actually really helpful for us. The lesson being, the conclusion being, pleasures of this world are a dime a dozen. They're a dime a dozen. Pleasures of this world are a dime a dozen. They're widely available. They are, in many respects, actually pleasurable, but they will never be enough. They will never be enough. That's what he, the conclusion he comes to. So let's just walk briefly through those three things that I just mentioned. First of all, they're widely available. Now, interestingly, in Solomon's time, these things were not widely available. Okay? The only reason he had them was partly because we're told that God gave him everything. But he was, he was the king. He was rich. He was wealthy. And he pursued all these things. That's the crazy thing about our day and age is now the things that were not available to people, uh, to, to people back then, you now have. Let's just, let's just look at all the things that he mentions here. What are they? Humor, verse 2. He went after and said, hey, jokes, that's where the comedy is, where it's at. Verse 2. No, it's, I'll go to alcohol, wine. I, my heart, 
I'm going to cheer my heart with wine, he says in verse 3. Art, verse 4. Nature, verse 5 and 6. Money, possessions. He gathers all the gold and silver that he can. Music. He literally hires musicians that he has on his, it's their, his own personal musicians, verse 8. Sex. Fill his, fill his life with concubines and as many people he can have sex with. And work, verse 11. And interestingly, as I, as I go through this list, humor, jokes, alcohol, art, nature, possessions, money, music, sex, work. How much do your lives as college students orient around the things that I just mentioned? Or a college campus orient around the things that I just mentioned? This whole idea of there being nothing new under the sun, nothing new in this world. I mean, this, this really is, shows this to be the case. And why? Why are these, even today, so they were back then, things that he sought out? Why are they the same kinds of things that we look for today to fill our lives? Because in a lot of cases, these are actually pleasurable. And so I am not, nor is the preacher saying that they don't give pleasure. Let's just think about a few things. Laughter. Isn't laughter a gift? Laughter is wonderful. Uh, music. I was a music major. Music made and experienced is enjoyable. Uh, author Zach Eswan, uh just mentioned him again a minute ago. He mentioned in his book how in the book of Nehemiah in the Bible, God actually encourages the people to celebrate by drinking wine, by drinking sweet wine. In other words, alcohol. It's a good. It's it's good. It's pleasurable. Nothing wrong with it. In the book of the Song of Solomon, there's imagery full of delighting in the act of sex. It's pleasurable. But the conclusion that the preacher comes to, and a message that we all need to hear as well, is these pleasures are never enough. He found pleasure, to be sure. Verse 10 says that. But in verse 1, at the very beginning, and then his conclusion at the very end is the same. It's never enough. And I think, again, if we're actually honest with ourselves, we know this experientially to be true. Let me give you a few examples. Your music playlist. Everybody has a playlist. I know you guys do. You're on Spotify. I'm on Apple Music because I'm old. But you have, your, you have your playlist. You share your playlist. And you love to just sometimes lose yourself in your music. It's never enough. Zach S. one again. When the song ends, we have to open our eyes again. The sunless morning still waits for us to enter it. The dishes dirty in the, stink, in the sink still wait for soap. So you're like, ah. I got to do the dishes. Even sex. Sex enjoyed in its proper God-created context is not enough. Zach guess one again. Let's say that last night, husband and wife made love the way God intended for them, full of passion, delight, and poured the pornless enjoyment of one another's nakedness. The young married couple slept peacefully in each other's arms. But this morning, the alarm clock still sounds... There's the diapers, the traffic, and the bills are waiting. Here's the point. You, you still wake up the next day. What you experienced yesterday that was so wonderful and pleasurable is fleeting. It's here. It's gone. In the book of Jeremiah, one of the images that God gives the people of this kind of emptiness and thirst uh, that cannot be quenched with the world's pleasures is that of a jar. Or you could think of like a, a mug, okay, a cup. The idea being that 
it, it, it's like a cup with its bottom completely broken out. Here's the way he says it. They, that is the people, have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That is to say, we pursue, we seek, we even create pleasures that are kind of like a cistern, but, but they're broken. They can't hold water. So as much as we sort of fill it up as much as we can, guess what happens? The water just runs out the bottom. And that's kind of a picture of what it is that you and I are doing constantly when we go after these kinds of worldly pleasures. It's just like an empty cup. We try to fill it up. We try to, we're trying to assuage that thirst, but it's never enough. This is what it's like trying to make the pleasures of this world your savior. So I'm just going to leave you with really one question, and that is what broken cisterns do you gravitate towards the most? Maybe it's one of the things that we see here that I just mentioned a minute ago. The endless loop of Instagram reels or TikToks, the alcohol that numbs your feelings, drugs that bring you into a feeling of euphoria, the never-ending pursuit of money where what is enough is just one more dollar. Now, some of you have yet to be aware that these cisterns that we create, that they're actually broken. So my encouragement to you is consider the wisdom of this preacher. That he's actually lived it. That he's gone and actually pursued all these things and found them empty. Now, some of you are all too aware of this. You're like, yep, this is so much of my life. I go constantly to these things. I feel this compulsion, this kind of addiction because, you know what, I get a dopamine hit every time I go to that. And often you do because it's pleasurable. But you know it's not enough. And in some strange way, I think what's happening in that moment is these things that we pursue are seeking to draw us into something otherworldly, that is to say transcendent. And that's really what I want to go and turn to after this now, is to the issue of the transcendent. And I want to point us to what the Bible claims about the pursuit of our pleasures, that there is indeed transcendent pleasure to be had, but they are not and will not be found in the things of this world. So there are, there is a pleasure that transcends. But rather than the stuff of this world, whether the, rather than the created, they actually come through a relationship that's offered to you. Now, our passage does not say this directly. That's why we need the rest of Scripture to interpret itself. So maybe you've heard this phrase, Scripture interprets Scripture. Is what's really helpful to go to other passages. And the pleasure that transcends is ultimately a relationship. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It comes from Psalm 16. If you want to throw that up there, I think it should be right after this. Psalm 16, verse 11, where the psalmist is talking to God, and here's what he says. You make known to me the path of life. At your right hand are pleasures, or excuse me, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures that are eternal. A joy that is full to the brim and overflowing. How? Where? The psalmist makes it clear that this happens. This is received by being in the presence of God. It's being in relationship with our creator, the one who created all things. 
Just think about the answer to the question that some of you maybe have heard before. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Transcendent pleasures only come in a relationship with our creator God. That's what the Bible's claiming. Now the problem is, as we just described, we sought out the created rather than the creator. And this really is the way that the Bible, one of the ways that the Bible talks about this issue of sin. Sin is in many respects taking what is a good thing. Many of the good things that we just described, alcohol, work, music, sex, and elevating them. It's taking those created things that are good and even pleasurable and elevating them to a godlike status. And what happened as a result of that is that we are all naturally cut off and unable then to access the transcendent pleasures of being with our creator God because we are seeking something lesser. So in order to fix this problem, a death was required. And this is where the person of Jesus speaks to us in John 6. That's really helpful. Here's what he says about himself. You want to go to the next slide? John 6, verse 51, Jesus says of himself, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is essentially saying, I have something to satisfy that hunger and that thirst. And it's me. And the only thing to make that possible, the only way that you can gain me and the presence of of being with God is the giving of my flesh. It's a really weird saying. But what he's ultimately driving at, the giving of his flesh is his death. It's Jesus going to the cross in order that the gap between who we are and being in the presence of God, that that chasm is actually met. Because you see, what was required was the death of ourselves. Because of our rebellion, because of our taking and making an idol out of created things, rather than worshiping the creator, something had to be done. And so a death was required. But ultimately, the pleasure of God, the pleasures of God that transcend is a gift that is to be received. So this is the last thing that I want to mention is that you can't do anything to earn it. So often I think we have this search for meaning and happiness in the world, and certainly being in a university setting invites this kind of thing, where you are encouraged to find it in your own journey. You're encouraged to find it in your own success, in, and maybe measuring out the scales that if I do more good than bad, then, then, then I'll make it, I'll arrive. We so badly want to be the ones who discover or who create our own transcendent happiness. But here's what makes the Christian gospel so radically different from any other philosophies of the world. It says you can't do it. The salvation that you need, the pleasures that you want and long for have to be received. It can only come in the form of a gift, a free gift that is offered to you. That's the only way. Let me close with this story. I have long been kind of a hopeless romantic. So ever since I was a kid, 
And I remember distinctly playing with Hot Wheels and blocks on the floor of my, my living room. Uh, instead of fancy towers, so my brother, who is literally a rocket scientist, he's the engineer in the family, he built these fancy towers with marbles going all down. I would build houses because I was pretending to come home to my wife and kids. Very cute, right? Very savvy. Um, well, so I've always been that way. It's always been kind of this hopeless romantic, wanting you know those kinds of things in my life. Well, let me just tell you a, a bit of some of the disruptions that have happened in our moments of romance since I've been married. Okay, let me just, just, just a quick list. Uh, our honeymoon, my wife was sick. Uh, our first anniversary, my wife had an allergy attack and it was bad. Several times since then, it happened every anniversary is when it happens. She's gotten sick. Even most recently, some of y'all know this because I've already shared this at church. We had to cancel two reservations to celebrate our 15th anniversary because of sick kids. Definitely disappointing over the years. And a proper sadness, of course, should go with that. I mean, those are times that in relationship, you want to connect with the person that God has given you. Uh, it's honestly, they sort of become comical. Uh, it's like we kind of begin to expect like, okay, anniversary's coming. Something's going to happen. It's going to disrupt our plans. Uh, but honestly, as I begin to reflect upon that, and as I've been reflecting on that, there's a part of me that thinks that that some of this is actually a death of my own obsession with being a hopeless romantic. Now, there's an aspect of this that there's nothing wrong with that. Romance is good, and I will still seek to romance my wife. I love my wife. I'll seek to build a relationship with her. But guess what? It, that is romance, and my relationship with her will never be enough. Romance is a terrible savior. And I think that's an aspect of what God is wanting to teach me. That even as good as those things are and the connections that my wife and I are continuing to able to experience, and they are good, and they are to be enjoyed, they will not fulfill me ultimately. I think that's a big part of what I'm having to die to. Listen to the way C.S. Lewis puts it. Some of you are really familiar with this quote. I think it's just a great quote. You can throw that up there for me. He says this, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. This is you. This is me. You and I desire transcendent pleasures. But here's the thing. All the things in this world that are good, and they are, and what we're going to continue to see in Ecclesiastes is they are to be enjoyed. They're good things. But they are mere pointers to a transcendent God. That's what I want you to get tonight. That all of these things that, yes, we can enjoy and we ought to, if we hook our, our grip, our white-knuckle grip and our teeth into those things, and think that they will give us the life that we desire. They will not. And so my encouragement to you is to see them as mere pointers to the one who can only give you the pleasures that you want. Forevermore, as the psalmist says, it's God himself. So, will you receive this gift? This is an offer to you. He's giving you this gift of himself. Will you take it? Let me have those.
God, I think all of us can relate to the ways in which the pleasures of this world, even the food we just ate tonight, they're good things. God, thank you for that food that came from your hand. The, the rice, the chicken, the unique flavors of the salsas. There are so many wonderful and beautiful things. And yet tomorrow we're going to wake up and we're going to forget probably that we had Chipotle tonight. And that's okay. Because that's not life. Food is not life. The pleasures of this world are not life. They are mere pointers to the one who is life, and that is you. As Jesus himself said, he is the resurrection and the life. He is the bread of life. And so, Lord, I pray that where we are holding on to those pleasures that we think will satiate our longings with white knuckle grip, I pray that you would loosen our grip finger by finger, that you would throw us on yourself, that you would cause us to, to know and to believe and to actually experience the pleasures forevermore that we have at your right hand. We thank you that we have access to this because of what Christ has done for us, because of his death on the cross and his resurrection. Lord, we look forward to the day that there will be no more pain, no more tears. Until that time, I pray, God, that we would seek you in every way. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.